Welcome to the Israel Daily News Podcast. That that you just heard was some music from last night's Independence Day event, which, as usual, was broadcast on TV for everyone to see in Israel. I'm your host, Shanna Fold, and I'm here to give you the headlines so you can get caught up quickly. You're listening, so you're already on top of your game. Survive and thrive, people. Knowledge is the best weapon. Today is Thursday, April 15th, 2021, but it is 5781 in the Hebrew calendar. 5781, guys. Happy Independence Day. Today, Israel reaches 73 years as an official country. Kol HaKavod. Now, let's get to the news. Israelis flooded beaches, parks, and concert halls around the country today as Israel marks its 73rd Independence Day. Jets flew overhead this morning for the air show, and Israelis barbecued their way into chickeny, meaty heaven. From what I have seen on Instagram, it looks like COVID over there is over since I didn't see many masks. And in many of the photos I reviewed from friends and colleagues, people are out with the masks off and gathering close. The streets are swarming in Tel Aviv. And there was even an outdoor concert last night with famous musician and performer Omer Adam, Moshe Peretz, and Eyal Golan. I spoke with concert goers and they say they had to wear a mask to the venue and scan their QR code at the entrance to get in. So here's how it works. If you've been fully vaccinated or have even recovered from COVID within a certain time frame and you have those antibodies, you get granted a green passport. You get it added to your cell phone. It's a QR code. And when scanned, it shows you details, makes notes that you were there, and grants you access to the venue. So somebody is checking you as you come in. My sources tell me that once inside the venue, however, there wasn't much enforcement in terms of wearing masks. My sources say it felt like it did before COVID, since people were close together without socially distancing, singing along. Tickets were 250 shekels for the show, just in case you were curious. I know that I was. And just in case you didn't know, in Israel, almost 6 million out of 9 million people are fully vaccinated. And 3 million of that population are children, so they can't even get the vaccine. If you're under 16, you can't get it. So basically, with some exceptions, almost the whole country is vaccinated. Now for some statistics as aggregated by the Times of Israel. Thank you for that. In Israel's 73rd year of existence, it is considered the 12th happiest country in the world, according to the UN Happiness Index. Did you know that there was a happiness index? More than 10% of Israelis in the country are working in high tech, which is considered to have been Israel's saving grace economically during the pandemic. The average salary for a tech employee in Israel is 23,000 shekels a month or 6,700 bucks. That's pretty good. Unfortunately, it's considered lower for almost everyone else who doesn't work in tech, so 90% of the country does not have anywhere near that competing salary. Thanks for that. The Central Bureau of Statistics says Israel has officially 9,327,000 people, which is considered small and young, with the highest birth rate in the OECD, with an average rate of three kids per household. 28% of the country is under 14, and 12% are over the age of 65. Housing costs are at a low, but it still takes the average family 11 years 
to save up enough money just to buy an apartment in Israel. 11 years of saving. That's a lot. 40% of the country lives in 16 cities around Israel, and the housing department intends on creating more skyscrapers to accommodate all the people who live in the country and are going to live in the country in the future. 20,000 immigrants moved to Israel just this year, despite the pandemic. In honor of Israel's Independence Day, the Mario Cuomo Bridge, formerly known as the Tappan Zee in New York State, was lit up in blue, along with other landmarks and city hall buildings around the United States, like in San Francisco or Denver. The Ukraine's city hall was lit up in blue and white as well, and also Uzbekistan's city center hotel boasted an electronic display with the Israeli flag on it. Hey, thanks for the support, everybody. Now let's get back to the Israel Independence Day celebration, which was hosted on Mount Herzl in Jerusalem and televised. As always, I watched it. Of course, the prime minister, defense minister, and their wives attended, along with other military personnel and politicians. A part of the ceremony includes special people lighting torches in honor of various different values and initiatives, as well as to represent groups of people like immigrants, for example, who usually get to light a torch. And it's often lit by a prominent person from the Olim, or immigrant community. One of the most prestigious to be invited to light a torch this year was Pfizer's CEO, Albert Bourla. But he decided, due to a scheduling issue, that he couldn't make it into the country to actually light. The CEO, who is a Jew from northern Greece, a city actually called Thessaloniki, lost his family in the Holocaust. He lost almost all his family in the Holocaust. A lot of people don't know that the Holocaust did extend into Greece and that there were communities completely wiped out from there, but it did happen there. So he sent over a pre-recorded video speech, which was aired in English, and it was pretty momentous. Here's the clip. I am honored that you have chosen to pay tribute to Pfizer at this Independence Day ceremony. Along with Jews around the world, I take immense pride in Israel. Pride in the fact that Israel is there for Jews everywhere, for us and for our children. Pride in Israel's achievements in science, technology, innovation, and so much more. This year, the partnership between Pfizer and Israel produced yet another groundbreaking achievement. Together, we are demonstrating that through mass vaccination, we can defeat the COVID-19 pandemic and save lives. I want to thank Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and all of Pfizer Israeli counterparts. We have shown that there is a path back to normalcy, and that definitely is something the entire world can celebrate. Tag Atzma'ut Sameach. By the way, the first injection to be given in Greece of the Pfizer vaccine was at a Jewish nursing home in Thessaloniki. If you somehow did not know, Pfizer struck a deal with Israel to get vaccinations to the Israeli population long before other countries in a deal that helped Pfizer get data on the vaccinations and Israelis get inoculated. 14 people in total lit torches this year in the ceremony, and the big focus was on honoring healthcare workers for their rough experience in this past year. Teachers and social workers were also honored, as well as those who lost loved ones 
due to terrorist attacks. Included in that group was the father of Rena Schnurb, who was murdered during a family outing in a foresty park in the West Bank. That was Rena who was murdered. She was just a teenager. Today at 10.30 in the morning Israel time, there was the yearly air show, and that included fighter jets and all kinds of interesting aircraft that were being flown and tricks were held. It's so cool. It's a great experience if you ever get to see it. And the day ends with the Israel Prize, which rolls out in the evening. It's an honor that goes out once a year to deserving scholars and go-getters around Israel in a variety of fields. Haaretz reports this year's Israel Prize scandal is over Professor Oded Goldrich of the Weizmann Institute. He's actually been blocked by the Minister of Education from receiving a prize for math and computer science. The minister says it's because he holds anti-Semitic, anti-Zionist BDS, otherwise known as Boycott Divest Sanctions, views that he shares out loud. Professor Goldrich denies that he ever said anything anti-Israel or BDS supportive. Pretty juicy. Israeli supermodel Bar Raffaelli's mother, Sippy Raffaelli, has been released from prison after she served less than half of her sentence due to good behavior. The model and her mother were both charged with tax evasion in September of 2020. Barr was sentenced to community service while her mother was given 16 months in prison. Sippy is now on parole and will do community service at a disabled children's center while also doing a rehabilitation program. And I promised a clip of yesterday's live talk with Mr. Harley Lipman, the CEO of Genesis 10. So I'm going to give it to you. Mr. Lipman runs a company that helps businesses get the software that they need. Now that's his successful day job. But this professional took it upon himself to make peace in the Middle East. He's an American Jew. And he's been meeting with the United Arab Emirates and other leaders of Gulf countries. And due to his collaborations, negotiations, and attention to the issue of bringing an alliance between Israel and similarly concerned Gulf countries, he was able to pull together the Abraham Accords, which as of today has four participants, the UAE, the Kingdom of Bahrain, Morocco, and Sudan. So he was just a part of this but definitely a un an unusual character to be at the negotiating table. We're expecting to see a rollout of other Islamic countries as well, since the Gulf is concerned over Iran, Turkey, and the Muslim Brotherhood, all as powerhouses in the Middle East. Lipman was able to get more countries to ally with Israel than he ever could have expected due to this common commonality. In his words, Israel doesn't want your land and doesn't need your money. So it just makes sense. Take a listen to a snippet from our Facebook Live interview that we hosted yesterday. It is just the perfect timing for Independence Day because we discussed Israel's future politically as well. One sure. question that I have is very classic question. Was all of this achieved through talks, through conversation, through meeting at the table and having representatives of each nation having a brainstorm session, thinking about what could be a possibility, writing up on a Google Doc. What are some of the methods for for this to have come to fruition that you participated in? Well, this was conversations going on over the years of moving in this direction. I think the catalyst was annexation because remember, they wanted something meaningful for the Palestinians. And that was just really not on the table. There was just nothing there. 
And there was nothing I could do to influence that whatsoever. So until annexation happened, that created the opportunity. But there were a lot of discussions for a long time. This was a huge topic. Where do we go from here? We have this existential threat from Iran, from Turkey. We're threatened by the Muslim Brotherhood. Qatar is double dealing. What is our defense posture going to look like? What's our strategy to defend ourselves from our enemies? And more and more, it looked like a natural ally would be Israel. Really? And, and it was an evolution, but it just, there's no, it's just conversation. Yeah, a lot of conversations, but those were the political dynamics taking place when I was sharing with you the, the attack by Iran on Aramco in Saudi Arabia and annexation. I think those two dynamics, if they didn't exist, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if we would have had a, a peace agreement with Israel with these nations. The UAE um, broke the glass ceiling yeah. because they're a, they're a forward-thinking nation. They have a minister of tolerance, 50% of their parliament are women. And when you build a mosque, a synagogue, and a church right next to each other, that's a, that's a positive, forward-thinking nation and people. So I, I, I think they're great allies, and I think that they're um, good friends. And I think it's, we're very fortunate to have friends like that in the region. And I think it's important that we embrace them. And as I'm sure you've noticed, there's been so many Israelis going to the UAE and people coming here, and it's like a love fest for a good reason. UAE has never been at war with the United States, neither has, I mean, with Israel, neither has Bahrain been at war with, with Israel. Um, that's why Sudan is really interesting, because they have been from 48 on, so it's a different dynamic. So um, I, I really never thought this would happen, actually, even though I was going for it. I figured, what could I do that could have the greatest impact? is trying to do something, however small, to see if I could help our friends in the regions and strengthen Israel's security. And then uh, these events took place and uh, we got the Abraham Accords. Well, it's absolutely fantastic to hear from beginning to end, all of the talks, all the years, a lot of patience involved, as we say in Hebrew, Savlanut, uh, which is definitely needed for any kind of discussion, whether it be a discussion in the house or a discussion on the floor of uh, the of Congress, you know, whatever it is, I think a lot what we can learn is that this is through needing the dough and discussions and talks. And one thing that you mentioned to us was a force of the um, Muslim Brotherhood. Now, of course, we know if you've been paying attention to Israeli politics, you'll know that Ra'am, which is a party that really hasn't been so much in the news up until very recently, is in a kingmaker role, which means that because they have just less than a handful of seats, four seats um, available, if they would join Bibi's right-wing block, he could have the number of seats that he needs to claim a majority. Now, I try to make it very simple for people who don't really understand how Israeli politics works, <laughs> but um, and I, I think I do a good job at it. You need a majority in the Israeli 61 seats. You need 61 seats. So you need to have, and there are 120 in total, so you need to have exactly a majority, which is just one more than the middle. And in order to get a majority of those seats, you need to have a number of members of Knesset or members of parliament to fill those roles. And in order to fill those roles, they have to decide who's with who. Okay, so now we have Ra'am, which is an Arab party. And uh, 
they are in this great position where they- May I interrupt you? They're not just an Arab party, if I may say. There are two other Arab parties. They're a fundamentalist party. They're a offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood. So this is what I wanted to get into with you, which is something that I know that we're all talking about and seeing that they have anti-Zionist sentiment, meaning sort of that they don't really believe in the future of the Jewish state as the rest of the country or the rest of the Jewish population, at least. And probably a lot of Arab Israelis as well believe in the future of the state of Israel. So we have this conundrum where on the one hand, a lot of people, especially leftists and people in the center, really want to have Arab voices in the Knesset because they want Arab Israelis and Palestinians to have representation and to have advocates and to have people talking about civil issues that they need to have resolved. And I don't think that I think most Israelis believe in that vision too, because nobody wants to have a neighbor who has less than what they have. And so there's a lot of of attempts at equality in Israel. And I think that there is this interesting situation in which there may be an opportunity for a right-wing bloc to have representation of this unusual party. Now, you take a bit of an issue with this, Uh, Maybe it's not a personal issue, but I would like you to explain in a way that maybe we haven't heard so vocal, vocally about why you say that the Ra'am party is the Muslim Brotherhood, what their tenets are, and why this is a danger to the future state of Israel. And I would just like to remind everyone we're talking about this as Israel goes into Independence Day and celebrates being an independent nation since 1948. So it's kind of the perfect moment in time to talk about this. So, Mr. Lippman, why don't you explain to us this, this part? Well, I first need to, to, to give, um, to explain it well, I want to start out and say the pluses of working with Ra'am. Let's start with that. So, like you said, there are not just Israeli leftists and liberals, but a lot of Israelis want to live in a country where others have what they have. I'm almost quoting you exactly, which is correct. And what their approach um, uh, Mansour Abbas's approach is of a very pragmatic politician. He doesn't bring up any political issues like the Palestinians. He's simply saying, I need better hospitals for my constituents. I need better schools, better roads. He wants a bigger slice of the budget. That's what he's saying. And he says, I'll work with either side, the BB side or the anti-BB side, because there are two blocks in the elections that are competing. In your excellent description, this is what has to be pointed out. It's, it's anti-BB or pro-BB. So, um, and the upside is that by doing this, by having them not spew venom and hating Israel and hating Zionism and spending all their time on very destructive and, and even murderous activities, hopefully they would be part of the process and you would de-weaponize Ram, which is very good. And also, you would now, and here's the key point, you now bring about the political, you begin to bring about the political integration of Israeli Arabs, Palestinian Arabs into Israeli society. 
So that although that's considerable. We had, although we have had plenty of Arab representation in the Knesset, which I think a lot of Americans and a lot of people that don't come from Israel or live in Israel realize, there historically has always been some presence of Arab Israelis, um, always some members of Knesset. Uh, we're just talking now about kind of moving into a larger representation and having a full well, party. I may be wrong, but my understanding is there's never been an Arab political party that has been part of the Israeli government. Right. There's always been members, there's always been representatives involved. Right. Individuals, but there hasn't been an Arab political party. That's right. This is not only an Arab political party, it's a radical party. It's an Islamic party, which makes it all the more significant. The problem is that if you look at their charter, if you look at what they say, especially what they say in Arabic, they call for the destruction of Israel as a Jewish nation. They have supported terrorism. They were against, and they are against the Abraham Accords. So one, so th that is all very real. And it, the, the best analogy you can make, I think, and I know it's been written about, but it's worth talking about, and that is, best analogy is Lebanon. Lebanon was created as a safe haven for Christians after they were murdered uh, by the Turks in Armenia. And you can make the analogy, Israel was at least partially created by, as a safe haven for Jews after the Holocaust. I know there were many other reasons, Zionism and Jews had been coming there for a long time, of course. But, the, you know, the parallels are striking. And what happened in Lebanon was the political leaders became very uh, petty, personal, sectarian, they were just looking out for their own party, their own friends, their own particular constituents. They didn't look out for the greater good of Lebanon. The Christian Maronites looked out for the Christian Maronites, Shias looked out for the Shias, Sunnis for the Sunnis, Druze for the Druze, so on and so forth. And for the first time, what marked this election as being so unusual was the absence of any political um, dialogue on the Palestinian issue. Nothing about COVID when Israel is the highest vaccination rate per person in the world, not the Abraham Accords. It didn't even give Bibi a, a bump, you know, those two great accomplishments, or the economy. My understanding is none of that came up. So what makes it so, and what it was, was it was all very personal. I mean, you'd have, if Bibi didn't run, you'd have a right-wing party in power now, without a doubt, right-wing coalition, because the majority are right-wing. But all the right-wing party, but the, many of the right-wing parties will not be aligned with Bibi. They don't want to work with him because of personal issues. They feel he broke their word to them. They feel betrayed by friendship or he doesn't keep agreements. Those are the complaints that they make. So it, it, this election has been marred by um, an emphasis on personal things and not on policy. So what some people take away from this is that are we, not that we're Lebanon, but is this dangerous? Are we beginning, the very beginning of a slide into something like what happened to Lebanon? And what did happen to Lebanon? One party understood what was going on, Hezbollah, and the strategy of Iran was to take over Lebanon and use Hezbollah. And they did that very effectively. And Hezbollah started out like Ram being very practical and pragmatic, all about getting medical supplies and medical attention to the people who needed it, getting poor people housing, and getting food to people who couldn't afford it and, and who were poor. That's how they began. 
And it was a very wildly successful policy. And that is how the Muslim Brotherhood operates. They are very modest, very humble, describe themselves as simple people, soft-spoken. Mansour Abbas, I think, is a, de was, was a dentist. Very, very reassuring-like. But that's their agenda. And, you know, they think that, uh, you know, we think we can manipulate them. They think they can manipulate us. So uh, we, we have to be very mindful of what we saw happen in Lebanon and realize there were three Arab parties that participated in this election. Two of the three are, are more moderate, if you will. This one is a radical Islamist party. It's a fundamentalist party. And, we, and, and I'll, I'll end with this and say, if they were to say they accept Israel as a Jewish nation, if they were to say they accept Jerusalem as the capital, um, I, I think then we would embrace them. And I think you can bring them into a coalition and have dialogue. But unless they change their charter and do that, I think it would be very dangerous. All right, well, thank you for sharing that. I hear what you're saying and uh, the parallels that you're drawing to Hezbollah are very much realistic. As you mentioned, sometimes the Hezbollah, not sometimes it's happened, where they enter with just a couple of uh, part parliament members and they grow and they grow and before you know it they are a majority of the parliament with a majority of their members and sort of having a really huge impact on how government goes and maybe choosing religious way of life versus a secular way of life and enforcing the rules on others so it is really interesting the parallel that you've drawn and never before do I believe that Israel has been in a position of vulnerability as it is now in, in this, if we're going to go with this uh, concept of bringing in a party that could expand. I do wanna just make sure that you know that during, I what did do just a quick search to make sure that we were correct, that uh, there are current members of Israeli Knesset that are Israeli Arabs. And yes, yes. Uh, just wanted to make That's sure correct. that that was that that was understood by everybody this yes. is a different story because this is for the majority uh block the majority right wing so this is unusual and having an arab party sit with the right wing party which is a majority in the israeli knesset it's just important to me that everyone know that arabs have had representation in or arab israelis have had representation in the israeli parliament because i think that through discussions and debates um that's not always talked about and that's sometimes left it's to not no it's not all right. Well, that's it for today's show. Today is Thursday, April 15th, 2021. Tel Aviv has a low of 14 degrees Celsius and a high of 26 degrees. That's 57 degrees Fahrenheit for the low, going up to 78 degrees for the high. Subscribe to the Israel Daily News podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing it from. I am everywhere. Don't forget to sign up to our Israel Weekly News Wrap. It's a newsletter with the top five stories coming out of Israel from throughout the week. You'll also get the Cliff Notes version of our original stories, investigations, and interviews. You can sign up by using the link in the show notes. I'll send you off with some audio from last night's Independence Day ceremony. I love the marching and the formations of the Israel Defense Forces. They did quite a show, and the music by the band was nothing short of first class. Very proud. Have a great and productive day and an excellent weekend. Shabbat Shalom. Chag Sameach, Israel. Woo!
יום עצמאות שמח! מסדר, קדימה, צעד! הדגלים הראשיים הועברו לזרוע היבשה למשמרת עד לשנה הבאה. לחזית, שוב! לימין, שוב! את מצעד הדגלים, כמו את הטקס כולו, מלווה תזמורת צה"ל, בניצוחו של סרן רום שמיר. לחזית, לימין, שוב! לחזית, שוב! לימין, שוב! מצעד ההצדעה זו השנה הרביעית, רב נגד יורם שמחון, 